So there's nothing wrong with the harvest. He said, the harvest is plentiful. There's people out there. And he said, the harvest is ripe. Like, they're ripe. They're ready for the picking. He said, the problem is the laborers. He said, the problem is the laborers are few. If there has ever been a time where the harvest has been more ripe, it's right now. If there's ever been a time where people are ready to be plucked out of this world, plucked out of dirt, plucked out of darkness, it's right now. The problem is the labors are few. See, right now in the world, there's so much fear. There's so much panic. There's so much confusion. There's so much exhaustion. There's so much anxiety. There's so much bondage. There's so much darkness. There's so much chaos. And what chaos needs is the word of God. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, earth is formless and void. It's a picture of chaos. There's darkness, there's void, there's just all kind of craziness happening. And right in that moment, God speaks the word over the chaos, over the darkness. He says, let there be light. And then there was order. Then there was light. The thing about that is, is then, fast forward to New Testament, he looks at us and he says, Hey, heads up, you're the light. In a world full of chaos and darkness, he says, let there be light. And then he looks at the church, he says, hey, you are the light. <laughs> you are the light of the world. A city on a hill should not be hidden. You are the light. Like darkness meet light, light meet darkness. Chaos meet order. The church is called to be workers, to be laborers, to go out there and gather them. If there was ever a time for us to be who we are called to be, it's right now. If there was ever a time for the church to rise up and be who you were called to be, it's right now. I remember Reinhard Bonnke said this, because when I got saved, I used to wonder this. I said, God, why, when you saved me, why didn't you just take me out of here? Why leave me to chance? Why leave me to this world with all the hurt and the pain? Why leave me when along the way I might fall away? Why would you leave me? And Reinhard Bonnke said, God saves sinners to save sinners. The reason why he left you is because he has a work for you to do. The Bible says you're not saved by works, but you were saved to do a good work. That good work is in the harvest field. That good work is out there, not in here. That's great you're working in the church, but the harvest field is where God's called you. You were saved to do a good work. What are you doing? I picture a man who owns a harvest field, right? He hires his, he raises his children up, his sons, his daughters, and, and he teaches them the family business. He teaches them how to work the field. And the man comes to, to his window and he looks out the field and he just sees this field and it's glowing. It gets ready to be picked. And he's wondering why it's not in his barn by now. And then he looks at his sons and daughters, and they're just sitting there. Just sitting there, laughing, having a good time. Just in the house. Just having a good time in the house. While the father's crops are out there. And he says, what are you doing? And they're like, aren't we in the house? Aren't we full of joy? He's like, yeah, but my barns are empty, and I desire that my house would be full. And the reason why my crops are still out there in the dirt, still connected by roots to this world, is not because they're not ready to be picked. It's because you're not ready to do the work. The harvest is ripe. The reason why people are still out there in their dirt, in their mess, still balancing things in this world, still having roots of addiction and bondage, is not because they're not ready, because they're crying out. It's because my workers are few. The reason why our friends and our family and everybody in this world is still in their mess is not because they're not looking for hope. The world's looking for hope and healing and joy and peace. They're all looking for the answer we have, and his name is Jesus. The problem is not with them, it's with us. Jesus. 
The first part of our three-part series, Preparing for Harvest, is entitled Preparing the Laborers. See, it's our job as pastors and leaders not to go out and get the harvest, but to equip you and prepare you to go get the harvest. If the house of God is not full, you shouldn't look to your pastor and wonder what's going on. You ought to look to the seat that you're sitting in. I remember we would be at the Ramada, and we didn't have a lot of people, and today we don't have a lot of people, a lot of people out, but I remember people would come to me and say, what's going on? Like, where's everybody at? Why isn't there more people here? And I'm thinking to myself, I want to ask you the same thing. <laughs> like, did you not have anybody you could have invited to church? Do you not have anybody in your life that, that needs Jesus, that needs salvation? Like, you're asking me. I'm wondering the same thing, because I know it ain't the preaching. I know that ain't the <laughs> I know, I know, I know there's nothing wrong with the preaching. <laughs> Ephesians 4.11 says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What is my job as a pastor? To prepare laborers, to prepare you to do a good work so that what? So that the body of Christ may be built up. Our job is to prepare the laborers to work the fields. But today I want to encourage you and help you realize that you have everything you need to work those fields. Do not let the enemy tell you you are lacking, that you need more wisdom, you need more study, you need more books, you need more time, you need... You have everything you need. When God called you, he equipped you, and he has given you more than enough to go and do the work of the harvest field. So I want to encourage you today, and I want you to realize that you are equipped. I want to look at a story of a man who was paralyzed in the Bible, and it's so funny, but it's a God thing, that Chris and Lisa brought the same story that God put on my heart. That's confirmation. The same story, I'm like, should I just say, okay, we're good to go? Like, <laughs> the same story. He hit on it. The, man, the man's paralyzed, right? It's the story of a man. He's, he's paralyzed, and, and four friends, they, they pick him up, and, and they bring him to the house where Jesus is at. The house is full. So they say, you know what? I'm not giving up. My... My friend has a need, and I know the need is met in the house because Jesus is in the house. So they're determined to get their friend to Jesus. So they, they're willing to do whatever it takes, right? They, they lift their friend up on a roof, and there's still this, this thing standing between his, their friend and Jesus, but they're not going to stop. They're, they're going to dig. So they dig through the roof, and I'm sure when the roof opened up, they, they probably saw Jesus, and they were like, that's the one. That's the one my friend needs. That's the one my family needs. That's the one my husband, my wife, my children, that's the one they need. And so they, they lower them down. Now, I'm going to read the story, but before we do that, I want you to see this as the perfect picture of what it is with the house of God, the laborers. It's a perfect picture of prayer. You see, Jesus is in the house, and the house is full. That's what God wants. And these friends are willing to do everything it takes to get their friend to him. They lift him up. They dig the hole. They present him. That's prayer. That's prayer. You have to be willing to lift people up in prayer. You have to be willing to say, I'm not going to stop until I get my friend to Jesus. And you are willing to lift them up in prayer. And when there's something standing between your friend and them, you're not going to stop until you reach breakthrough. You're going to dig. See, when you have somebody you really love, you're willing to dig deep in prayer. You're willing to dig until you reach breakthrough. I'm not talking about too many prayers. I'm talking about praying from the very depths of your soul until you begin to cry out. I'm talking about praying deep prayers until you reach the heart of God for your friend. Our friends, our family have been involved in a lifetime of pain and a lifetime of addiction. And you think you're going to reach God two minutes of prayer? Shallow praying? 
You have got to learn what it is to lift people up in prayer and dig until you reach breakthrough and not stop until you reach them. You have got to know what it is to be exhausted in prayer. Until you exhaust the English, English language to the point where you say, I have no more words to speak, God. So what do I do? I start praying in tongues because I'm not stopping until my friend gets saved. That's what it is to be a laborer. If you think that it's easy to reach that world for Jesus, it's not. It takes labor. It takes work. Let's read the story. Mark 2, 1 through 12. It says a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached a word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up, take your mat and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I've entitled today's message, Pick Up Your Mat and Walk. Pick up your mat and walk. I love it because it's not lay on your mat and rest. <laughs> but pick up your mat and walk. There are three things this mat will remind you of as you carry it. There are three things that this mat will always remind you of if you remember to carry it. I want to paint this, the scene for y'all. I want to take y'all there. I want you to see it. That's how I preach. I preach from a place where I could see the scene as if I'm there. And I want, I want y'all to be there with me. This man's paralyzed. He's on this mat, right? I, and I brought a mat. I'm big on props. I'm really big on visualization. This man's paralyzed. He lays on his mat for who knows how many years. His friends, they see their friends out of need and, and they know that if they can get their friend to Jesus that he'll receive help. And so they pick him up and they bring him to this house and they go through all the work, right? Like I said, they, they raise him up. They dig the hole, right? They, they, they lower him down. It's just like this awesome scene. They're like, they're telling their friend, this is the one. This is the one I was telling you about that's been going around healing. This is the one who is the answer to your need. This is the one. And they probably just were like so excited to see what was going to happen. Everybody in the room is just so in awe. Everybody in the room is just, what's he going to do? Come on, Jesus, do it. Touch him. Their friends probably back up and they're like, this is it. This is the moment. Jesus looks at him and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> this whole buildup, this whole bringing him there and this excitement about him walking again, this whole buildup, the, the tearing through the roof, the lowering down, this, this, this man who's been going around the healing, paralyzed, open blind eyes, what's going to happen? And he says, your sins are forgiven. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, you're you seeing the same guy I'm seeing, right? Like, you, you do realize, like, he's paralyzed. Like, that's great, his sins are forgiven, but... What about his legs? <laughs> Are we going to have to carry this man back out? <laughs> What's the deal here? Jesus like, I, I, I know you see what we're seeing. What do you mean your sins are forgiven? What about the healing? 
What about his life? What about his future? What about his job? What about his family? What about the healing? The man doesn't say anything. The man's not complaining, but everybody in the room is probably thinking, what is the deal with this? Your sins are forgiven. Everybody saw this man's outward need. But Jesus and the man knew his real need. The man doesn't say anything because you see everybody in the room, they heard your sins are forgiven. But it's one thing to hear somebody's sins forgiven, but it's another thing to actually experience your sins being forgiven. Jesus and this man knew what just took place. This man just experienced all his past, his shame, his guilt being washed away. The man's not saying nothing. See, we tend to forget that the greatest miracle that ever takes place in a person's life is when Jesus gets down and looks you in the eyes and he says, your sins are forgiven. There is no greater miracle. You see, that miracle cost Jesus everything. He could have healed the man's body. It wouldn't have taken the cross. There was healing in the Old Testament. God made your body. He could heal your body. But to look at you and say your sins are forgiven cost him everything. And the Bible says, by his stripes you are healed. That's talking about your inward man being healed. That's talking about your spiritual healing. That's talking about your sins being forgiven. The greatest healing and miracle that took place in that room in your life was when Jesus said, you are forgiven. There is no greater miracle. If Jesus would have skipped over your sins are forgiven and just gave the man new legs, everybody would have been like, man, that's amazing, that's great. The man would have had new legs for the next 40 years, and the man would have walked right into hell. What, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What does it profit you to gain all the miracles and all the healings and all the blessings and all the giftings if you never receive forgiveness of your sins? That man's body that was healed that day, that we look at that and we're like, man, that's just so amazing. That body is ashes in the dirt. But that man is seated in glory with God because he looked at him and he said, your sins are forgiven. Never forget the greatest miracle that took place in your life was when he looked at you and said, your sins are forgiven. They could look at it and say, what about the man's legs? Like we do and we say, we say God, what about, what about my house? What about my car? What about, what about my problems, my finances? And God's like, have you forgotten the greatest miracle that could ever take place has already taken place? I forgave you of your sins. If God doesn't do another thing in your life, he's outdone himself. So the, the religious people, as they always do, they start thinking, there's no way this man's forgiven. They start thinking in their mind like, who is this man to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins because the Bible says when we sin, we sin against God and God alone. So in order to forgive, he has to be God, and that's blasphemy. And Jesus is like, I'm about to prove to you who I am. I don't talk to talk. I walk to walk. I'm about to prove to you who I am. And Jesus looks at them and he says, why do you entertain such thoughts in your mind? And I believe he looks at every one of us and he often asks us, why do you entertain such thoughts in your mind? Why do you think, why do you allow those thoughts of unforgiveness to creep in? Why do you allow those thoughts that you aren't saved to creep in? Why do you think those things? He says, but I am going to prove to you, and I am going to prove to them that what just happened was real. Get up. Take your mat and walk. The outer miracle was only to assure him that the greatest miracle actually took place. <laughs> That's all it was. He said, I'm going to prove to you that I can forgive this man. Get up, take your mat, and walk. That silenced every doubt in that room. That shut the mouth of every lion and every liar and every religious figure in that room. When he said, get up, take your mat, and you walk, there was no doubt the man was forgiven. In order for you to shut the mouth of the lion, you've always got to remember your healing. Because the Bible says that we overcome him by the blood of the lamb 
and the word of our testimony. See, that testimony of what happened to you on the outside is to remind you and assure you that what happened on the inside was real. Every time the devil tries to condemn you and convince you you aren't healed, you aren't saved, you're not forgiven, you could say, no, I am because the one who healed my body first had to heal my soul. The one who healed me and delivered me from drugs and heroin, the one who delivered me from anxiety and depression, that same one, guess what, before he did that, he told me my sins are forgiven. Devil, shut your mouth. I know I'm forgiven because of the outer miracle proves the inward miracle actually took place. I am forgiven. The first thing this mat represents... The thing this mat always reminds you of, the thing you have to carry if you are going to be a laborer and you are going to reach the world, you always have to carry forgiveness. You always have to remind yourself that you are forgiven. That mat was a reminder of that man that day that he was forgiven. See, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. He would love to accuse you. He wants you to doubt your forgiveness. He wants you to doubt you're saved. Why? Because if he can do that, see, if he can keep you on that mat, that mat represents my past. That mat represents every place I've ever been. That mat represents the dirt and the filth I used to lie in. If he can make me lay on that mat and not pick it up and walk with it, then he can keep me in that shame and that guilt, and it will keep me from being an effective witness. But you got to remember that God told the man, get up, take your mat and walk. See, I've called you off that mat. I have separated you from that mat, just like I've separated your sins. As far as the east is from the west, I remember them no more. You are not what you once were. I have called you and I have called you to be forgiven. Always remind yourself as you walk that you are forgiven. Every single day of your life, you are forgiven. You are not who you once were. Always remember your mat. Always remember that you are forgiven. See, knowing how forgiven you really are makes you an effective witness. Why? Because just like that saying, hurt people hurt people, you can only give what you have. The reason why people are, are full of anger and hate and always hurting people is because that's what they've received their whole life. They don't have anything else to give. They haven't experienced anything else. So just like hurt people hurt people, forgiven people are forgiving people. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Freely you receive, now freely give. See, when you realize how much you've been forgiven of, you are quick to want to forgive others. See, when that man would look at that mat and realize everything that he had been through in his life and and realize everything that God separated him from and what God called him out of, that man must have been like, man, I can't believe that God has forgiven me. See, every day of my life I've sinned against God. I didn't miss a lick. Every one of us have. Every day of our life, we have sinned against God. In some way, shape, or form, and God has forgiven you. You start counting it up like, man, how many times have I sinned against God? And, and you forgave me? See, forgiven people are the most forgiving people. Because when you realize what he forgave you of, <laughs> when somebody comes to you and tells you they've done you wrong, you are so quick to want to forgive that person. I mean, they come to you and they're like, so I got to tell you. I got to tell you. I, so I did something to you and I'm really sorry. And you're just like, don't even worry about that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I can't believe you even brought that up. You're so forgiven. Now get out of here. Don't, don't even mention it no more. Not only do I forgive you, but I have forgiven you a thousand times. And I'm telling you right now, you are forgiven. Yes. Seventy times seven times two, I am forgiving you over and over again. You are forgiven. Why? Because you are so full of forgiveness, it just oozes out of you. Amen. Forgiven people are the most forgiven people. What an effective witness you are when you have that attitude. Somebody comes to you like that, I got to tell you something, right? So it was an accident, but, but I broke something. And you're just like, listen, it's material. We'll buy another one. <laughs> I'm just glad you're okay. 
I'm just glad you're okay. Because we can always replace that material thing, but you are irreplaceable. And I am just so glad you're okay. <laughs> forgiving people are the most forgiving people. But there's a place that you have to carry this forgiveness. Mark 2.11, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go where? Go home. Where's the first place that we have to carry forgiveness? Home. Home. Because there's more healing that has to take place. There's more healing that has to take place, and it's only done when you start forgiving those closest to you because it's usually those that are closest to you that hurt you the deepest. And if you don't forgive those who have hurt you the deepest, it's going to ruin your witness. Why? Because unforgiveness will cause a root of bitterness. It will cause anger and hate. And you are not going to reach this world if you are full of bitterness, anger, and hate. So pick up your mat and go home. The next thing this mat represents and reminds you of is your story. The whole time this mat was referred to as his mat. Jesus says, take up your mat. They lowered him down by his mat. It was his mat. And his mat represented his story. It represented everything that he had been through. We all have a mat. We all have a story. He tells the man, get up, take your mat, and go home. I picture this man on his way home, right? And I just picture the man just so full of life and so full of joy and, and so full of excitement that he encountered Jesus and he's been forgiven and, and he's, got, he's got a new look on life and he's got a future ahead of him and a hope ahead of him. And he's just walking with that mat and he's just so excited, right? And at the time, there was many people that were paralyzed that laid on mats. There was another man that Jesus healed after 38 years of being on a mat. I picture that man carrying that mat just in awe that he used to be bound to this thing. And the thing he was once bound to, now he's carrying. He's walking and he's probably looking at his legs like, is this even real? Like, I can't believe I'm healed. I can't believe... I'm delivered. I can't believe this. And I picture as he walks through the streets, maybe there's another man laying on a mat in the same condition that he was in. Maybe the man looks at him and he maybe lock eyes. And the man probably thinks, what are you doing with a mat? So he asks him, what are you doing carrying that mat? And he says, this mat? You got a minute? Because i got a story to tell you. See, this mat is my story. Maybe he goes and lays it before the guy and he says, listen, I, I know you won't believe this because I don't look like what I've been through. But I laid on that mat for however many years and I was bound to it. And I know everything that you're going through I know what it is to be bound, and I know what it is to be hopeless, and I know what it is to be numb, and I know what it is to not feel anything but pain, and I know where you're coming from. You see, I can relate to you because I was just like you, and the only thing that separates me from you is a man named Jesus who told me, get off my mat and walk, and I'm telling you right now, I'm offering you hope because the same Jesus who healed me, he'll do it for you because he's no respect of person. He didn't do it for me because I was so great. He did it for me because it's who he is. And I'm telling you right now that he is still up the street. I can bring you to him. The man's probably like, you would do that for me? Yeah, I would. Because somebody did it for me. The reason why you're sitting in this chair is because somebody was willing to share their story with you. This mat, this mat is my testimony. This mat is my story. And I'm always going to carry around my story. And every chance I get, I will tell somebody because this mat represents hope. That you don't have to be bound to those things anymore. 
that you don't have to go through life not knowing whether or not if you die you're going to go to heaven. You don't have to go through this life being bound to addiction and anxiety and fear and depression. You don't have to do that no more. See, I was separated from my mat and he could separate you from yours. I picture the man, he continues on writing. <laughs> I just get lost in my mind sometimes and I... I just picture the man, he's probably just, I just picture him on the way home, I don't know why, I just, I picture him jogging, right, and, and maybe he even let out a skip, you know what I'm saying, I mean, he's just so full of joy, I mean, I got a new life, and he's skipping, and he's running, and he's jogging, I picture, I don't even think they even had it back then, but I picture him stopping playing a game of hopscotch, I don't know why, I don't know why, but I'm telling you, I would if I had new legs. He goes home. The door opens up and he locks eyes with his mother. His mother sees the mat. She sees her son up on, up on his feet for the first time in a long time. Like maybe some of our mothers saw us out of the dirt we were in and up on our feet for the first time in a long time. She looks at him and she's, what happened? All he could tell her is Jesus. Mom, and the glory goes to him. He healed me. He healed my life. There's no doubt about it, right? There's no doubt about it. This man kept this mat forever. This mat, I could just picture him hanging it up in his house. Like you would hang up a trophy or a picture or an award. Like those things that remind you of just an awesome time you experience in life that you never want to forget. I picture him hanging it up in his house. And boy, you know. You know every time a new guest came over. He was trying to bring them to the living room. He was trying to bring them and look. He wasn't saying it outright, but he was probably like. And they were like, all right, I'll play the game. What's the deal with the dirty mat? <laughs> What's the deal with this dirty mat hanging up on the wall, man? <laughs> He's probably like, oh, that mat? I didn't think you would notice. Probably like, have I never told you the story of the mat? <laughs> Everybody in the house is like, not again. Because <laughs> you know when you tell your testimony, like, listen, me and Nick are always together. And I share my testimony. And I'm sure he's heard it so many times. He's probably like, yeah, 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 come on. He had a revelation of God. He got saved. Come on, man, get over it. <laughs> But this man is like, let me just tell you about this mat. I laid on that mat, paralyzed. And he just goes into the story, right? And even though you've heard it so many times, he just draws you in because the man tells the story with such passion. He tells the story with such a reality, like, because you know he was there and it just meant everything to him and his eyes light up and every time it just sucks you in, you're like, man, Got me again with it. <laughs> it's a good story. Why that's a good story? How many people was he able to lead to Jesus because of that mat? The man had no theology degree. No New Testament Bible. He had everything he needed because he had a story. The enemy makes you think that you're not equipped that you don't have enough to tell people about Jesus, that you need to go study more, that you need to know more. Let me tell you something. If you have a story, if you have a mat, you have a testimony, you could bring people to the Lord. Period. You have all you need to be a laborer in the field. If you have a story. The woman at the well, she spends 15 minutes with Jesus, maybe. Jesus tells her all about her life. She literally, listen to me, spends 15 minutes. Some people spend 15 years, couldn't win somebody to the Lord if you, if you begged them. Spends 15 minutes with him. All he does is tell her about her past. She leaves. She goes home. She comes back with the entire town. And leads them to Jesus. And they all got saved. 15 minutes and a story is all it took. You are overqualified. 
overqualified. If you have a story, you have all you need. You might get psyched out and you might say, well, what about other religions? I can't tell you how many times I deal with that. Well, well, what if, what if somebody comes to me with another religion and they start asking me questions? What about these religious people? Or what if somebody comes to me and they start talking about Scientology and the Big Bang and evolution and they come up with all of these theories and I don't have a theory. I have a story. And a man with an argument can't mess with a man with an experience. The man who was born blind, who didn't even know who Jesus was, catch this, is standing before the religious and they say, Jesus, he is a sinner. The man says, listen, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. See, I don't have the answers to all your questions. And I don't know everything about Jesus that, I, that maybe I should know. But one thing I do know, one thing I have is a story. See, I was blind, and now I see. So you can have all your theories, and you can have all your ideology, and you can have all your thinking, and you can tell me about the planets and the stars and the moon and the sky, and that's great. But I have a story. All you, all you have is a big mouth. Don't ever let nobody psych you out with their theories and their thinking and their religion. People come to me with all these different religions. I say, what did Jesus do for you? Tell me. Did he heal you? Did, did he, what did he do for you? All they have is their religion. They don't have an experience. <laughs> I experience God. You, I don't care what you think. All you need is your story. Psalm 107 verse 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. <laughs> let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If he has redeemed you, if he has healed you and saved you, God's not asking you to carry more than what he's given you. He's simply asking you just to carry your mat. Just carry your story. Just go tell somebody about what I did for you. Is that so hard? I remember I would tell people, man, share your testimony. Oh, man, I don't know. I I need some time. How hard is it to tell somebody what you experienced? Ask me. I can, you can wake me up at 4 in the morning. Out of a dead sleep, and I can share my testimony. Well, how, how, is, how can I not? You think this man at any moment, if somebody would have said, hey, tell him the story, he'd have been like, wait up a second. Let me think. Uh, I'm not ready. Maybe give me another day. What? I was paralyzed, man. I'm healed. What do you want to hear? How hard is it to share your testimony with somebody? Stop laying on your mat. Stop laying on your story. Somebody needs to hear it. Pick up your mat and walk with it. The third and final thing we always have to carry if we're going to reach people for Jesus. I want to look at it. Again, this man is lowered to the roof. We went through the story, right? He's presented before Jesus. He's forgiven. He's healed. He's restored. He's up on his feet. It says it once, immediately. Like, Jesus says, get up, take your mat and walk, and immediately he's up on his feet. At once he's, he's taken from his dirt. He's taken from his, his bondage at once. He's forgiven. He's healed. He's restored. He's, he's separated from the dirt. He's separated from the world. Like, at once. This is a picture of salvation. This is a picture of salvation. You're forgiven. And at once, you have gone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You have gone from, from rejected to accepted. You have gone from rejected to adopted. You have gone from, from dirt to being made clean. You have gone from old creation to new creation in an instant, in a moment, at once. At once, your whole life changed. That is a picture of salvation. So this man, he stands on his feet at once. And everybody in the room is just in awe. They say, we've never seen nothing like this. We have never seen anything like this. Could you imagine being in a room and seeing a man paralyzed on his feet? 
everybody's just taken back like, man, that was awesome. If you have ever really experienced salvation, then you know what that moment's like. I'm talking about real salvation. I'm not talking about going to the front of the church and saying a few empty prayers. And I'm talking about actually feeling your sins forgiven. I'm talking about actually feeling yourself being made new, being made whole, being accepted. That moment where it all became so real to you. That moment where it was more than just Sunday morning. That moment where the cross became alive to you. And all of a sudden now, the blood and the thorns and the whips and the pain and the three days and the tomb, all of a sudden it became a reality to you. It hit you at once. And all of a sudden you realized it was for you. That moment, do you remember that moment where you, have, you, were, you were up on your feet? That moment you received salvation, that, that just being in awe of God. That saying, God, I, I can't believe you. I've never experienced anything like this in my life, and I've searched high and low, and I've been through all different things, but I have never experienced anything like you, God. And you are just in awe and wonder of God. Do you remember that moment? When that man looked at that mat, the third thing it was, he remind, was reminded of, and the third thing that you should always be reminded of and you should always carry around with you is your awe and wonder of God. Your awe and wonder of God. There's a song that Nick, Kyle, and I like. It's by Bethel. It's called Wonder. And the song says, may we never lose our wonder. May we never lose our wonder. Just wide-eyed and mystified. May we be just like a child, just staring at the beauty of our king. May we never lose our wonder. You should always carry around the awe and wonder of God. But so often we, we put it down. And God all of a sudden becomes commonplace to you. And all of a sudden it just becomes religion to you. And you forget just how awesome God really is. And you worship in vain. And you don't pray, pray you don't sing and worship to God from your heart. It's all in vain now. Have you forgotten how awesome and how wonderful the God you serve really is? May you never lose your awe and wonder. May you never lose your mat. When you really stop and you think that the God of the universe, the one who placed the stars in the sky and knows them by name, the one who created everything that you see, touched your life, doesn't that create a sense of awe and wonder? When David looked up, he said, I look at the stars and I look at everything and I ask myself, what am I that you're even mindful of me? Do you not have an awe and wonder of God? Everything that you see, He created. I love when people show me like pictures, like of vacations or, or spots that they want to go to or beautiful things, mountains and hills and valleys and waterfalls and rainbows. And you look at that stuff and you just go, man, that is beautiful. But what's more beautiful than that is the one who created that. When you look at those things and it takes your breath away, it ought to be for God because my God made that. And the same God who made that made me and touched me and healed me and delivered me. God, I am in awe of you. You are awesome. So how do you keep from losing your awe and wonder of God? By not losing the God who is awe and wonder. You see, you take that whole scene that we just did, right? The house is full. The man's paralyzed. They're going through. You take that whole scene and you take Jesus out the mist and there goes your awe and wonder. You want to know why you lost your awe and wonder is because you have taken the one who creates awe and wonder out of your life. Every time Jesus is in the room, he brings awe and wonder. If you have ever been in the presence of God, you know what I'm talking about. I have been in the presence of God so thick where I, all I could do is shake. I have been in the presence of God and watched him open the eyes of the blind, and I know what it is to be in awe of God where you say, God, you are awesome. May you never lose your awe and wonder. 
The Bible describes God, believe it or not, as awful. Awful. And you probably say, what? He's awful? Not in the sense we use the word. When the Bible says God is awful, it means he is full of awe. <laughs> when he comes in, he creates these awe-filled moments. When he touched your life. So how do you keep your awe and wonder? By spending time with that God. Every time you open the word of God and you say, God, I, I just want to spend time with you. And, and he reveals something in his word about himself to you and it just just creates that awe moment. If you, know, if you know what I'm talking about, like Junior would say, if you know, you know. If you know, you know. If you don't know, then you're like, what is it? But when you just spend time with God and God reveals something of himself that you didn't see before, and it just gives you that, oh, I've never saw that before. When God is in the room and in the presence and, and God is working on a sinner's life and he's working on somebody's life and he's doing something, it just creates that, oh, you're awesome. In order for us not to lose our awe and wonder, we got to always keep the one who is awe and wonder. you got to get back to spending time alone with God at the feet of Jesus. So in preparing the laborers, I call you today to pick up your mat and walk. I want to encourage you that your mat is all you need if you're going to reach the harvest. If God's house is going to be full, all you need is your mat. Always remember that you are forgiven. Every day of your life, and do not let condemnation creep in, you are forgiven. And always be ready to extend forgiveness to everybody. Always remember your story. And be ready to share it. Always be ready to give somebody the reason for your hope. Always be ready to tell somebody about how what Jesus did in your life. And never lose your awe and wonder, because when you tell that story, you should tell it with such life and such passion. And always remember the awe and wonder that you felt that day when he saved your life. Church, I encourage you that if you have a mat, you have all you need. So let's go and get the harvest. Amen? Stand with me. If you're here today and, and you actually can relate to that man on a mat, like, like I know what it is to be bound. If you're here today and you might be bound to addiction, you might be bound to anxiety, you might be bound to fear, and right now the fear of death is all over this world. So many people are waking up to the reality that death can actually happen. Like, hello, you're going to die. Like, that all of a sudden, that just hit everybody. And all of a sudden, everybody is so scared to die. All of a sudden, newsflash, you could have died yesterday. <laughs> are, we, are we really not remembering that we're not, we're not, this body is not going to live forever? Have we forgotten all of a sudden? And so if you're here and you have the fear of death, you have, you're struggling with anxiety, you're struggling with bondage, you're struggling with depression, you're struggling with all of this stuff, you can relate to that man, then today just might be your immediately. Today might be your instantly. Today might be the moment where God calls you off your mat. Today just might be the day where you rise up in front of everybody and you rise up out of the ashes and you rise up out of your dirt and your filth and you have a new life. Today might be your day. I want everybody to bow your heads. Close your eyes. and I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But if that's you, if you say, you know what, I, I need a new walk. I'm tired of things carrying me around. I'm tired of my, my bondage and my addiction carrying me around. I'm tired of my anxiety and my depression carrying me around. I want to I walk, and I want to walk for Jesus. I want to feel forgiven. I want to know what it is to feel forgiven. I want to know that my sins are washed white as snow. I want that. If that's you, all you have to do is slip up your hand. Right now, slip up your hand, and I will pray with you. 
See those hands. Don't miss your moment. How foolish of that man if he would have looked at Jesus and said, no, I'm good. I'm good. Don't, don't touch me. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where Jesus calls you off your mat. Don't miss today because tomorrow is not promised. So I'm going to ask you again, if that's you, just slip up your hand and let Jesus take over. You don't have to do anything. Jesus will wash you, forgive you, and cleanse you, and give you a new life. Who doesn't want that? If that's you, just slip up your hand. For those who put their hands up, I want you all to come forward. I want to pray with you all. Praise the Lord. We're going to pray. And I want the whole church to pray with us so you don't feel like y'all alone. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All. All means me, all means you. So today we're going to pray. I want y'all to repeat after me, and I want the whole church to say it with us. And listen, God knows you. He knows where you are. He knows what you've been through. Maybe you, you didn't have the nerve. Maybe you were embarrassed to come forward. But if you would pray this prayer with us, God will hear you. So I want everybody to, to pray with us. Say this. Say, say Heavenly Father. I thank you for Jesus for dying on the cross for me to forgive me of all my sins and I receive that forgiveness right now by faith. Lord, with my mouth I will confess that Jesus is Lord and Lord, I believe that you were raised from the dead to give me eternal life. And I receive that life right now by faith. But Lord, I'm weak. I want to live for you, but I need help. Send your Holy Spirit to empower me and to make me the person that you died for me to be. And I will live for you all the days of my life. Jesus, today, I make you both Savior and Lord of my life. Amen. Amen. Church, give them a clap.